0: the Uppity Women podcast. This week's episode features Elise Stroud. Elise is an expert in financial software project management whose company does acquisition integration. And if you don't understand any of those words, don't worry, I didn't either. We were actually pretty deep into the conversation before I really kind of grasped what she does. I will not say much more about that. Um, we, the first part of the conversation, we get really pretty deep into the weeds. Uh, so it may not be for everyone. I am completely enthralled by these things, really by all things. I just love learning about new stuff. So it was fascinating to me. But then in the second half of the conversation, we talk more generally about sort of women in the entrepreneur ecosystem and the challenges that we face least has some pretty disheartening stories, but, you know, nothing that will surprise you. You're going to hear a lot of lingo, like gap analysis, financial synergies, Amazon web sources. I don't know what that was. Um, so a lot of stuff that you may not be familiar with, but don't worry. Just, just let it pass by. Um, I'll include some things in the show notes so you can check that out. But I hope that you enjoy this episode. I found it to be very informative and... My takeaway really was just how important it is that women support each other, especially financially. If you are in a position to be an investor, you know, we've got to take chances on each other and support each other. So anyway, if you want to skip the first part or listen at double time, go ahead. But I do want you to for sure listen to the second part of the conversation where we do talk in more general terms. I think it's important that we know what's going on out there and do what we can to fix it. So enjoy the episode.
1: Well my name is Elise Stroud and I'm a serial entrepreneur slash banking consultant. Um, I was one of those weird geeky people who taught themselves to do computer coding back in the early, early 80s when it wasn't cool, especially when wasn't cool for women to do. Um, I had to read a lot of IBM manuals with six point type in order to figure out how to do it. Well how did you become aware of it? Uh, I was doing commercial art and we had these, uh, we were so excited to get this typesetting machine that uh, was essentially a computer that would allow us to uh, type in text for marketing materials and it would print it out on tape that you could then paste on to the ad that you were building. Because Everything was so much more manual back then. Right. Well, um, it, you know, it was super exciting that we could build like uh, strips of copy to go in magazines, but I wanted to be able to lay out the whole page. Mm-hmm. This was, I know this sounds like something you magically do today and don't think about it, but this was before PowerPoint and Word existed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was working at uh, Baptist Medical Center in their PR department doing this typesetting work. And uh, I went down and talked to the head of uh, their IT department. And uh, I wanted to see if I couldn't find some way to connect my computer to his computer and get enough power to start trying to figure out how to do what I wanted to do. Um, And we never did make that work, but I ended up going to school at night to learn how to code. Then I transferred away from Baptist and went to Systematics and the rest of its history. Systematics was led by Walter Smiley and it was a banking software company. Okay. And uh, probably camped out there 11, 12 years learning to code and develop software. Um, and shortly after Altel bought them, the culture changed profoundly. Uh, and I decided to go out on my own and consult independently. So I did that, I spent up the Stroud Group, and um, traveled all over, spent a lot of time in New York, and New Orleans, and St. Thomas, and all kinds of interesting places, uh, doing uh, software installs and acquisition integrations. Uh, A lot of really interesting work, met some interesting people. Well, describe in layman's terms
0: what that means. Let's assume I don't know anything about what you do.
1: No. <laughs> I spend a lot of time staring at a computer screen, looking at other people's data, making sure that it does what it's supposed to do. Um, so when you do uh, an acquisition integration, you're uh, typically, you've got all this- And you mean like acquiring a uh, business? Another uh, another bank, typically. Okay. But, But this same concept applies to whatever kind of business you're doing. So if one bank is acquiring another, um, they may or may not be running the same software. But regardless, they've got somebody's bank accounts on the bank that got bought, and that data about all those bank account- all those transactions have to get moved over to run on the systems in the acquiring bank. And so there's a lot of programming. Well, first, there's a lot of analysis that has to go into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's programming to get the data moved over and a lot of testing and validation to make sure that everything still works. Like it still produces statements when it's supposed to, and it still charges you the same thing that you were supposed to be charged originally. Or if it's changing what you get charged, that you get the proper notice sent to you. Mm -hmm. So there's just a ton of moving parts involved in making sure that those bank accounts come over cleanly. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole lot of other things that have to come over like HR systems and billing systems and finance systems and a ton of data that has to move from one place to the other when a bank acquires another bank. Okay. I'm gonna get back to that. Mm -hmm. Are you from Little Rock? I am. Okay, so,
0: and you've always lived here?
1: Well, not always. I went to high school at uh, Whitehall in Pine Bluff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, a little bit south of here. I was actually born in Jonesboro. Okay. Uh, And then I went to college in Fayetteville. And so, I've pretty much always been here, but a lot of the last 30, 40 years has been traveling all over. So, I would be gone for example, to New York City, where I'd be there for two weeks in a row, come home long enough to do laundry, repack, and get on the jet and right. head back. Right. So that was my life for a long time. Right. So it was more your home base. Yeah, the yeah. home base. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure how to ask the question, um, but it sounds like you have really been in the thick of all of these technological changes yes. over the last several decades. Yeah. Why do you think that this has been an interest for you? Is it part of your personality? Or are you type A or are you, I mean like, how would you describe yourself and how you got interested in this kind of thing? Was it out of necessity? Because and and if you can within that within that your answer um, address sort of um, the what I'm assuming is the fact that there were not many women who were interested or engaged in this kind of technology.
1: I think there's something warped in my personality that makes that endlessly fascinating to me. Mm. I like being able to write a few lines of code and have a a machine run that and do amazing things. I mean, it's very gratifying to know that I had something to do with somebody's banking account working right this month, Mm -hmm. Uh, as geeky as that sounds. And especially when you're, I mean, we dealt with really big batch systems, so it wasn't one bank account, it was millions Mm -hmm. of bank accounts. And millions of different scenarios, millions of families that you're affecting. And so there's a rush, if you think about it, about the power that you as a programmer have to affect other people's lives for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. So I took great pride in high accuracy programming. You know, I wanted to know it was right mm-hmm. all the time. And I was working on a conversion for Citibank, uh, Ten, fifteen years ago, and there were so many accounts that a fraction of a one percent error rate could have affected. Oh, I've forgotten the math, but it was it was close to a million households. Wow! And it's like that's a risk you can't take, mm-hmm. so you have to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into this originally because I was a single mom at, with an art degree, and uh, I realized uh, that I didn't really enjoy teaching, and I wasn't going to make any money as an artist, and I wasn't going to make any money in marketing and PR, not I mean, certainly not back then, and mm-hmm. not on the level that it takes to effectively run a single parent household. So, um, it's, uh, some friends of mine were into programming, and I told you about the interest I took in the in trying to get those two computers to work with each other. And I figured out that if I if I taught myself how to do this, I would have a secure career for life, mm-hmm. and I'd make a whole hell of a lot more money. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed the responsible thing to do mm-hmm. as a very young single mom. Mm-hmm. So you know,
0: it's so strange because here's what I'm thinking: It's like I I, I do not put artists uh-huh. and um, a computer scientists. I guess I don't know what I don't know what the right words are together, like a, a, like in the same person. So
1: it's right brain, left brain. Thing. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. But it also seems to me that. Um, even though computer technology is really specific, I mean it is math, basically,
1: isn't it? Basically. So,
0: but you can still be
1: very creative within that area. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. If you're not, you end up building ugly screens and horrible user interfaces. So I used to tell people in job interviews that uh, that I had all the superpowers they needed. Because my art degree meant that I had a really good eye for pretty readable reports and screens. So, inter- user interfaces that I write are gonna look different, better than somebody who doesn't understand those things. And I also had a journalism minor in college, so I know how to write about the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do my own tech documentation, which also makes me, uh, you know, it makes my life easy as an entrepreneur because I can build my own websites and I can write all the content you want, and, uh, as well as, as write code. Although, you know, that's, that's something I'm working on right now because my coding skills are like 20 years old mm-hmm. and technology that is older than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually in the middle of learning how to uh, how to use uh, AWS's toolkit at this point, and that's yeah. You know, I'm ha- we're we're back to reading manuals, although now you watch YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the same thing all over again, trying to learn how to do this new technology. What's AWS? It's Amazon Web Services. Oh. So uh, one of the mentors here at the Venture Center turned me on to the fact that they have basically this toolkit that's uh, Lego building blocks for programmers. And they make it really easy to pull together sections of code that are already written Mm -hmm. that you can use to build an application. Mm-hmm. And and while you may not want that to be your code base long term, it lets you build a really solid cloud based minimum viable product that will get you to market fast right. without spending a ton of money. On your tech development,
0: right? Ugh, that's where I am right now. So you started Stroud, Stroud uh-huh. Consulting. Yep. And you were helping with these acquisition processes, mm-hmm. right? So kind of blending the families. Yep. And and making it work. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, then what? Because so I guess what I'm getting at is is um, so I guess when I first met you, you just had Stroud Consulting, right? And then you started. Have we known each other that long? That could be. Well, when did you start your current venture, but in its previous intera- iteration?
1: So, in 2015, my uh, good buddy, Bridget Ferris, and I were collaborating uh, and decided that uh, all of our experience in, in consulting and mergers and acquisitions led us to really recognize there's a problem in that space, that a lot of uh, mergers fail. Mm-hmm. Three years out, two years out. Um, Specifically and so we, in banking, or were you looking at no, it's all industry? Different okay. I mean, it's global, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we were noodling about what the problem was. Why? I mean, you could toss a coin and get better odds. So why do people waste so much time, energy, and money on doing that when it doesn't work all that well? Mm-hmm. And I was particularly frustrated with having to browbeat staff to get projects done in a hurry, trying to realize financial synergies that were unrealistic in the first place, and then the whole integration still goes belly up. And so these people have, you know, missed time with their families and gotten heart attacks, and you know, because we were pushing them so hard. So I think guilt kind of, you know, led me to it to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Uh, But we noodled through it a lot, and and our crazy thought was that you could do a better job with investing in companies, whether you're buying them or selling them or just trying to grow them, if you had a better grasp of the intangible value within the company. You understood its operational maturity and you were able to uh, essentially do a gap analysis between the buying company and the selling company so that you really understood the differences in a way that allowed you to make better decisions and uh, better funding choices. Um, Maybe even choose not to buy that company because they were a poor fit even though their balance sheet looked great. Mm -hmm. But that all boils down to we felt like people weren't looking at the right data. And I'm kind of a data geek, so we went after a solution that would allow you to compile data about a company, really quantify its intangible value in a way that allowed you to do a gap analysis between companies or compare your target company against industry benchmarks, its peers, mm-hmm. essential. So we invested a ridiculous amount of money and a lot of time into uh, developing a rubric that allows you to put a score on the internal intangible value assets of a company,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we we built that out as our MVP, and then we um, and that we started that out as MergerMatch. Um, We really liked the Match.com alliteration, Mm -hmm. Um, and and in concept, it was the same kind of thing, just companies instead of people. So. We took that to market, tested it. You know, went back. You know how you do product development? You go test it, and then you come back and tweak it, and you mm-hmm. go test it again. Mm-hmm. And um, we did did a lot of that kind of work, and then finally developed, um, put some programming around it a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and and continued to test it. Uh, along the way, we um, changed the name of the company
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because, as silly as it sounds. Uh, we had clients not want to work with us because their secretaries would get concerned that they were selling the company if somebody named Merger Match came walking in the door for a meeting.
0: Oh.
1: So a little cloak and dagger. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's but, but, when we but changed it. But let it. Oh, me stop sure. here. Because if they're
0: contacting you, well, I guess they could be wanting to acquire, right? But they're not gonna call merger match if they're not interested in either being acquired or acquiring. They still wanna keep it quiet. Right, right, okay. So you get that feedback and then, and now what is it
1: called? Corporate Insight Strategy. Well, okay. that was that was the name then. Okay. Uh, so we worked through that for a couple of years uh, and really struggled to get to market. Mm-hmm. It was a really hard sale because there were so many egos involved, and that's, you know, we could talk for hours about that. Where were Um, the egos? In the companies? uh, The CEOs tend to be very ego-driven, and if you go talk to people in the M&A space, they're pretty sure they know how to do what they do. Uh, even though the failure rate is as high as it is, there's uh, they're financially incented to close the deal, right. not ensure the long-term success of the deal. Right. And as long as that's the incentive, then I don't I don't see that changing. So you know, not being a huge fan of jousting at windmills, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: at least not with my own, you know money on my own hip pocket, I had an opportunity to. Uh, go do what turned out to be the sixth largest bank acquisition integration of the year for 2018. It was an old client, invited me back. Um, so I spun down my team, let everybody go, and went and focused on that project for, oh, I guess, 11, 12 months. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that project, I had the honor of doing the lessons learned work, which means I got to go around and talk to all the executives and get them to tell me their truth about what went well, what didn't, what did they need to be more successful. And I walked away from that exercise with a 250 bullet point list of things that just echoed the reasons that Bridget and I had set out to do this work in the first place. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was like the universe was slapping me upside the head, going, look, this problem is still here, and you probably have the right answer. Life is full of circles. Funny how that works. So I came back and I, I put some real thought into how could we really get this out to market and what have we done wrong, you know, what how are we standing in our own way which is always an important question for an entrepreneur to ask and, and it hit me after talking to some really smart people that we simply weren't thinking big enough. <laughs> and we were trying to monetize too early. Because for this model to be truly valuable, it's got to have a lot of data. There've got to be a lot of companies gone through this in order to really uh, put us in a position where uh, we know what the right answers are, we can do some real analytics, and um, we can really, with confidence, tell a company, Here's how you compare to your peers in this space. Or if you're a buyer, I can say, look, this candidate, here's what they look like. Here's their intangible value profile. And here's what other people in their general space look like you know comparative dollar amounts or years or you know whatever demographics you want on it and I can say look they're either better at this or they need some work to come up to you know Um, so we can provide them a lot of information that's really useful at scale that then led me back to the fact that I've been trying to fund this out of my hip pocket so I've decided to rebrand as isaac.ai, and we're going to go for funding for this baby because it's going to take a lot of money to acquire all that data and to put the kind of analytics, machine learning, neural networks behind the data that we need to start to really understand what are the key drivers of success in this space. So the data you're looking for or you would use would be applicable
0: to a variety of industries. Absolutely. Okay, so you're not
1: just having to go out and get banking data. No. It's really just company data. Like mm-hmm. it's an industry agnostic model
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is designed to ask you about how mature your internal processes are. Like a lot of the intangible value of a company is about having written down how they do what they do. Mm-hmm and having processes that allow for continuous improvement, it's like, at at the lowest level, I may get a thing done by the seat of my pants if I'm an early company. Somebody gets it done every month. Who knows whether it's the same way every time or not. At the next level up, it's, there's some management around it. Like there's a schedule. And I know that we always do this thing on the 15th, and here's the instructions for how you do it, and here's who you report the results to. Mm-hmm that kind of structure around it. And then at the next level up, it's the employees who are charged with this task are fully trained and vetted to do the work. If there are multiple branches, it's done the same way in every building. So that starts to spread out and at the next level, there are process improvement procedures in place where on some kind of schedule annually, we go back and revisit this for fit to our business. Like it's something about our business changed that makes us wanna do this thing differently or more often or with different technology whatever that change might be. And and so then that gets worked back up, redocumented, retrained, all those things happen. And then at the next level, you're some kind of rock star thought leader Fully optimized, you know, everybody else comes to you to find out how to do this thing. So, those are the, that's our scoring Mm -hmm. metric. And then once we have that information about each of the 180 business capabilities that we take a look at, then we can start to attach that information to your financials and go, okay, a company that does these things is worth this. And a company that does these more advanced things is worth this. A lot of the analytics that I want to build have to do with putting a hard dollar value against those more progressive behaviors. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question or did I go off track?
0: No, it does. it's. I mean, my struggle is just trying to uh, come up with kind of practical examples of this, or like. So I'll tell you what I'm thinking of as you're as you're talking about it is. And I don't know if this is the this is the right way to think about it. So my husband used to work for a firm, and they combined. There were two two law firms that combined, and they mm-hmm. were each kind of run by best friends. They'd been friends from high school since high school. They would always wanted to have a practice together. Yeah. And then they merged. And now they are separated again because uh-huh. what works in the wild doesn't necessarily work in the office, right? Yeah. And so it sounds to me like that is a very, like, primitive way to describe what you're doing, but you're kind of looking at the strengths and weaknesses of each company and, number one, is it a good idea to merge at all? Mm-hmm. Two, if it is, you kind of identify the challenges and where they're going to really have to make adjustments yeah. to make it work together. Yeah. Right.
1: Yes. See, a component of that is the company's culture. Right. Um, it, I, di- I didn't talk about that because we we're talking about intangible value, but uh, I guess a real strong component of intangible value is the culture itself. And we did, uh, we read a lot of really amazing thought leadership on the topic. And there, there are a lot of people who want to quantify your culture in different ways, but we ended up using Gert Hofstede's work because he defines elements of culture within a corporation. Mm-hmm. And it's things like uh, everything from do you have a dress code to how much do the employees self-identify with the company to how do you make decisions? Who's involved in that? And not that there's any right or wrong answer because there isn't. It's There's their opinion. But we, we present all these, I think it's 30 some odd elements of culture, and um, we define the topic, and then we present five different sets of behaviors that describe how that element of culture might be observed in the company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we ask... Uh, each participant to identify what they see currently and what they would really rather see. And those two answers seem fabulous. But if not, then there's an indicated appetite for change. But what gets really interesting is when you take this feedback from all of the members of the company and you start slicing it up by their role. And so the most damning outcome is when i've got five people in the executive suite and i get a different answer from every one of them about where they are yes and i get three different answers about where they want to go right how are you gonna how do you lead that company right nobody knows what to do so we like to work with client companies to help them align Like, I don't care. If you want to be a big dictator in your company, that's okay. I just want everybody in the company to agree that that's how you make decisions. Right. Right. If you want to say that our dress code is that we wear blue jeans and T-shirts, peachy. Just make sure the sales guys know that they don't have to show up in suit and tie. I want the same answer from them that everybody else gives me. Right. So... We we've developed some risk ratings developed uh, off of all those numbers. This is you know it's a lot of numbers, um, and it allows us to determine if a particular company is high risk or not in terms of their culture. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got a proposed merger, we can align those two companies up to each other and show you the differences in their culture. So, not that you still wouldn't want to merge, but you just need to budget, and you need to have a plan for how you're gonna work with staff to effectively align cultures. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that doesn't come cheap, it's a huge internal marketing effort. There's work that indicates that in order for staff to believe something that they hear, they've gotta hear it and see it demonstrated over and over again. At seven times, I think.
0: So
1: mm-hmm. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. There's no magic wand. So I'm going to segue into now seeking
0: capital. <laughs> and uh, as we sit here in the Venture Center at Blue Sail Coffee with all these presumably entrepreneurs around us, uh-huh. talk about the challenges of getting funding and, and basically having to sell yourself and your idea. Um, and it's something that is not untested. But, you know, when you're a fledgling company, like,
1: tell me about that process. It's uh, character building, for starters. There, There are a lot of people with money in Arkansas who are actually willing to write checks. Uh, But they're more interested in real estate ventures because they understand how that's actually going to make them money. I haven't observed a solid appetite for something where they don't see a clear path to revenue. So if you've got a project where that's very clear, it's reasonably easy to get funding. But if you've got a project that that we're early on not 100% sure how it's going to monetize. Right. Even though it may be a solid idea, that's a little difficult to get. I We're working on funding around here, but I've not gotten any solid interest. So you'll have to go outside of Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. that's the plan. I would like... To get funding here in Arkansas that would enable us to do our tech development to the next level and uh, fund the trips that are necessary out to the valley to try and sell it there. Mm -hmm. Um, I really don't want to have to go out of state for our sea ground, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. You know, I was hoping that I could tell the story in the valley that we got seed funded by the women in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, But I tried to do, um, you know, an invitation only party uh, last week uh, where we were gonna pitch to women that that at least appeared to be qualified investors and we didn't get enough RSVPs to hold the event. Uh, Even though that, happened in spite of the fact that over the last five or ten years I've had a fair amount of wine and coffee with women who said why don't we get access to the opportunities Right. We would love to fund the startup. Why is it always the old boys club who gets to do these things? We want to have this fun. But then they don't show up. But then they don't show up. Did you ask them why? No. Uh, that felt adversarial. Well, that's a tricky thing,
0: mm. right? If there were a middle person who were kind of trying to put you all together, they, yeah. could, they could
1: ask. Yeah. But you can't. Yeah. That, you know, we are in the South. You need to be polite. You don't have to tell me twice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fit in so well
0: here. but So I wonder, you know, there is this, uh, I don't know if it's a phenomenon, but a situation where a lot of women before they will, and presumably these are women with their own money, not uh-huh. answering to men, but often women will check in with their partners to say, hey, I'm going to donate to so-and-so.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that that's part of it? In my case, I think, well... That's a a super interesting question, Stephanie. So now what you're talking about is lack of skill in evaluating companies to invest in. Um, So I wonder if part of the answer is... Is that
0: lack of skill or is that unwilling to take a risk? without, because we might be more conservative with our money or we, we might have, because women may be more inclined to take a look at their family and can I afford to do this or, or is this something I want to risk? So not, not a skill, to me that's not a skill, that is a just a different way of thinking about. Well, investing in startups is high risk.
1: Yes. And no matter how good one idea or one team or the other may be, it is still high risk. And so you said an interesting word. You said donate. And if you thought about it as making a donation to a cause, you probably wouldn't think twice about it. But because you think of it as an investment you 're expecting a return which may or may not happen, might be three years down the road, might be never right so i don't maybe it 's part of the mindset yeah, and actually, when I said that, I was actually thinking of political
0: donations because that 's what um, I am most familiar with, yeah uh, are the women who say, you know let me check with my husband, but meanwhile guys do not ask their wives that they can donate to the candidate of their choice right but now that you have told me what I said um that is interesting (laughs) right so I wonder if I wonder if it is a cultural thing where women in the south or in Arkansas who say they want to invest in companies or in startups but when you know the rubber meets the road they really don't want to risk that money.
1: Well, it's fun to talk about, but it's scary to do. Yes. And if you don't have a lot of experience with it, if you don't have uh, peers in your social group who have done that before and been successful, but, but you have to start somewhere in order to start building that experience base. And you have to have women actually doing it and telling their stories to their friends over wine. And, you know, a lot of investments get raised on the golf course. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we need to have that own, I mean, that comparable, right. is what I was searching for, um, way of, of collaborating about investments and how we're going to support women led companies here in Arkansas. It's important work. Yes. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are lifestyle businesses. They're not disruptive, data-driven projects like mine. Uh, we, w- we went and met with Charles Morgan and he said, this is so advanced, you're going to have to take it to the valley to get it funded. And. Uh, You know, I wasn't sure how I felt about the characterization of people in Arkansas, because I think there are people around here who will get what I'm doing. But it does tell me I'm going to have to talk to an awful lot of people to find the ones who embrace the fact that it takes some fuel to get a data-driven AI project to where it develops value. Well, and I'll tell you, and I don't know
0: if there is a um, kind of a common demographic among venture capitalists, but... Mm When I think of what you're doing, and I'm listening to you describe your business, I really cannot relate to it. Right. And so because I just don't, I'm, I don't operate in that world. Yeah, that's pretty common. Right. And so I think if you can't visualize it, or if you can't somehow relate to it, it's really hard to say, well, yeah, I'll give you a million dollars or whatever. What well, exactly? Right. And so how do you overcome that? And I don't, I don't think it's Arkansas. I think it's
1: well, I think it's going to be anywhere. Yeah. Quite frankly. Right. Because it's, it's not, it's. it's, not, It's not building a dry cleaners. It's not a real estate. It's not a mini storage. Right. Right. You know, and I can talk to people about mini storages all day long and they go, well, can I help you invest in the next one? You're clearly good at this. Right. So, you know, they just write you a check on the spot because they understand it. Mm -hmm. And yet, what kills me about this is what I'm really looking to do is help people de-risk big investments. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest investments they'll ever make, and I'm telling them we can make that a little bit safer. If I can make it 5% safer, would you take a gamble on me? Right. So
0: let's say you do get money. How do you get customers? I mean, there's a mergers and acquisitions is a, I mean, that's a a field, right?
1: Yeah. So is it just being part of that area? I honestly don't believe that getting customers is hard once we're at scale. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to be at scale? I think at scale, we've got a billion. And data points in our database on you know a quarter million companies and we've built up such a massive data and publications about our findings in the media that that we become the go-to i mean you would not think about doing mna work without a subscription to pitch book or capital iq and i think at some point at scale You wouldn't think about doing M&A work without a subscription to Isaac. Okay. because these other companies only present the financials, and we'll tell you how they got there. But, you know, long way between here and there, and it doesn't happen one or two companies at a time. And, the, you know, the value proposition is is not there. This really is minimum viable idea at this mm, point, right.
0: so. Yeah, um, and another way, too, I'm thinking of it now is maybe you don't give someone a loan without looking at their credit score. I mean, it's similar. Yeah. So...
1: Well, when we started this, we made a lot of jokes about this becoming the FICO score for businesses. Yeah. And and that's that's the crazy, audacious idea that it's yeah. that ubiquitous. Um, I like could totally wrap my brain around what you just said. Oh, good. <laughs> like the way that I was not able to... It's a light
0: for. bulb. Yes, yes. Outstanding. yes. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so so we have talked uh, before about um, challenges mm-hmm. in uh, venture capital and sort of the tech entrepreneurial ecos- ecosphere, right? And and how it isn't always friendly for women. Um, and. I am not interested in talking about anyone in particular or any groups, you know, whether it's a conductor or the venture center or whatever, but I have definitely heard from a lot of women who have tried to be a part of this club that really does feel like a club. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, but it's just, you know, there's like just even sitting in here, there's an energy that I just love. You know? Oh yeah. And I just, it's awesome. It's almost like you can see the idea bubbles, you know, uh-huh. and, and that's probably, I'm sure that I'm, I'm, I am succumbing to media, but uh, so, um, um, but, so so they've tried to kind of be a part of it, but feel like it's very male oriented and that women are not taken as seriously. And maybe it is because they have more lifestyle ideas, I don't really know. But what is what are you observing?
1: Well, aside from the fact that, uh, that I'm fighting an uphill battle, trying to find people that really connect with what I'm trying to do, um, I've observed a certain level of disrespect, and you, you and I talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a very dear friend put me in front of some potential investors, and I really appreciate this gentleman's support for what I'm doing. It's like he got it, right? And so he's connected me with a number of people, but he scheduled a meeting uh, recently uh, where he brought in two of his close friends, and. Um, I was doing my usual investor pitch deck, and uh, really my question to them is, uh, gentlemen, you wanna write me a check or not? Right. I mean, if you had the right posture, that really is it. Mm -hmm. So one of the gentlemen is 20 minutes late, because he didn't have enough respect to show up on time. Mm -hmm. So instantly no respect for the value of my time. Right. And we can come back to that later. Uh, but he sits down and he looks up the screen and uh, the word artificial intelligence is on the screen and he goes, oh, I know what that is. Artificial intelligence is when a blonde does her hair brunette. And every guy in the room thought that was hilarious. Right. What I really wanted to do was shut down my presentation and walk out of the room because it's like you don't have any respect for the gravitas of the work I'm trying to do but you're gonna tell blonde jokes it's like what because I'm female right and I'm not even blonde. I'm great you know I oh this is where ego really comes into play it's like you stand in front of these people who want to tell you how you really ought to be running your business idea one of the guys I talked to last Week in the middle of a presentation said, "Hey, you don't need to build a data company. You just need to go build a consulting company, and you know, like Ernst and Young." And I'm going, uh, and I caught myself sitting there explaining to him why I didn't like that idea. And it's not a debate. Right. I don't have to justify myself. Right. Did you do your homework enough to know that that's what I've done for the last 30 years? It's like you didn't even bother to know who I am. And I find that annoying. Right. Have some respect for the gravity of my previous career and my expertise because I am the expert. Right. They're not. And they are not. Mm -hmm. And so, do you think that is uh, treatment reserved for women
0: more than men?
1: I have not sat in on a whole lot of investor presentations with my gentleman friends, mm-hmm. so I lack data to really answer that question. It sure is the easy knee-jerk response mm-hmm. to assume that the level of disrespect comes from the gender or the age. Mm-hmm. I just think they don't have enough respect for the process to do their homework, and they weren't serious check writers. Right. And they were wasting my time. Right. And I will love it when I get to the point where those meetings go south and I shut down my laptop and walk out, which is what I really wanted to do. So what's the danger of doing that? You burn bridges. Yeah. It's a small state. It's a small state. And... A guy could do that and I think get away with it and, you know, instantly earn respect. I do that and I'm a bitch. That's right. That's right. So you can't afford that. No. No. So you just grin and take it and you laugh at their jokes no. and you say thank you for their advice, welcome or not. Mm-hmm. And you control your urge to argue. Mm-hmm. About something that you're the expert in and they are not. Right.
0: Oof.
1: I don't know how you keep your mouth shut. I really don't. <laughs> it's
0: not one of my better skills. No. You and I are not drinking violets. No. Yeah.
1: No, but I'm having to learn. And you, you've got to go through a certain... It's character building to go through a certain amount of this. To You have to sort through a lot of this kind of stuff in order to find the one bright light yeah. who will write us a check and will go the journey with us. Right. We will get what we're trying to do. Right. So how much do you think you need? Right now, we're looking for $600,000 as a seed round. We're we're working on what Series A looks like. I have been told that you're better off going to the value with a really big number because they're much more interested in a large investment. But I need to get the valuation and the company up high enough that taking 10 million doesn't lose me all of my ownership. So there's fine balance there between, you know, and talking about how far can we get on this first round? How much valuation can we build? And I have a plan for that in my head, but, you know, we have to get that first check first. So can you just, uh,
0: I always assume that anyone listening doesn't know anything about what we're talking about. <laughs> can you can you just briefly tell us what the different investment structures are? So you've got angel investing, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got actual maybe ownership investing, right? Or equity investors. Like talk about, you just mentioned not losing ownership. Mm-hmm. Talk about the different ways that, that you can get money.
1: So you can borrow it. Yeah, yeah. you know, if you've got the financial chops to do that, which is both good news and bad news, because I did that. and Me too. I really wish I had not. Yeah, uh, me too. But, so there's either debt or equity. I mean, there's there's all kinds of other forms within that equity investing, and you can talk about Seed and Angel and Series A and Series B, and there's there's a lot of stuff written about that, and it's smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, it's either debt or you're giving up part of the company.
0: So, so meaning so, if someone invests $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever, uh-huh. but they're gonna take a piece, sh- some some number of shares in that company. Yeah. And and as it builds and makes more money, they're gonna get that share in, in equity, right?
1: Yeah, so as I understand it, and you know somebody who's an expert's gonna jump in on this and go, oh, you don't have this right, but so let's say I start my company out with 100 shares. And I say it's worth a million dollars, so you know each share has a perceived value, based or units. At that point, we right. have to say straight with the SEC and right. you know be careful of using the right words. But if you give me a hundred thousand dollars, then one way to do it is to give you that comparable percentage. Is percent? 10%, yeah, ten percent. Yeah, ten percent of the shares in my company, mm-hmm. or. Where it gets kind of complicated is a lot of people will say, okay, I started with 100. You're going to give me money that's equivalent to 10%, but I'm going to add on that many new shares. And so then it's not exactly... 10% 10% and it dilutes the value of the original 100 shares. Mm-hmm. So that always have to play around with spreadsheets to get that right because that's basically what we're talking about doing is creating shares.
0: And so let's say um, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just out that money.
1: Yeah. Right? So you don't have to repay that. Well, you know, they're probably going to want something. They're going to want us to liquidate in some mm-hmm. fashion. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with a company that only has technical IPs is an asset, then the liquidation value is pretty right. pretty minimal. Right. So, and you talked about a loan. So when I started to Go, I, I got a loan from the
0: small business, a small business loan, mm-hmm. and blew through that, and, yeah. and now I'm paying it back uh-huh. um, with virtually no income. So, But I guess the good news in my case is that it was an expensive lesson, mm-hmm. but it's really made me refocus and figure out what I actually want to do, and it's not the idea I started with. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I don't know if I really have a point. It's just, all of this stuff is just...
1: Well, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's both wonderful and scary and horrible all at the same time. Oh, it is the most amazing, scary roller coaster yeah. ride you will ever go on. It's like I was so thankful to my lending partner when they agreed to uh, to lend us money for this company. Mm-hmm. It, it was amazing that they would do that and it gave me the opportunity to really focus some staff on product development and trying to get out to the market, mm-hmm. uh, but when those you know, when we didn't get enough revenue and and I'm having to cover that loan out of personal funds, then, you know, that then becomes kind of scary. If we had hit gold early, it would have been amazing. And I still am completely convinced we're gonna do it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I've gotta service that debt. And a lot of times, investors want you to eat it. It's like, even though the note is to the company, I have to service it personally even if I have investment that was a hard pill to swallow yeah I mean I had to personally guarantee
0: my loan Yeah. yeah so what would your advice be to women who have an idea or ideas Where do you even start? I mean, so you've started off in a field. I mean, you had some experience and background. And I think typically when people have business ideas, they've got some experience, right? Well, well, sometimes. Sometimes. So when I opened the candy store, Mm -hmm. I did not have, I mean, I'd worked in a store at some point, but I don't think I understood what it took to have a retail business. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun didn't make any money but I but because I wasn't the right person to have that store I didn't want to work in a store does that make sense so like yeah. I don't have the kind of uh, so I should have been doing like gift packaging and kind of all of that you know cute stuff that, that people do and that is just not my personality I just thought open a cool ass candy store people are going to pay for it and I'm going to be great you know and um, that is just not the way it worked out and again part of my problem is that I have a million ideas it's very hard for me to uh, uh, stick to it, I guess. You know, because oh, I get
1: that. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just very hard for me to stay focused and really do the work that needs to go into building a new business, whatever that is, whether it's a restaurant or mergers and acquisitions or whatever.
1: And so, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? I suffer from this constant flow of ideas. So I can't walk out down the street without a new idea. Right. And so, I've really had to. Work on that over the years, because there there have been a, there have been some other projects along the way that didn't go anywhere. Um, but when you have to develop some kind of personal filter that lets you ask yourself, is this idea really worth my time? You have to come to value your own time in such a way that that the ideas don't try to take it over. So you need a process, you need some help. You need some some way of evaluating, would I really think this was fun to do day in, day out? Could I stay passionate about it? And is there truly a market for this idea? You know, it's like the candy store thing. You probably could have gone over to Euler and gotten Martial to run you some reports on how candy stores do... Nationally, and what are the numbers for? Really, you might have done all that, so I not apologize. at ILR but I did look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you—it's okay to try and fail. You learn yeah. stuff about yourself. You learn what you don't like. Yep. So my husband and I um, did a fair amount of investment in uh, duplexes, single-family homes, mm-hmm. and what we learned real quick is. We don't have the interest. We don't like talking to people that well. We sure as hell don't want those phone calls in the middle of the night where somebody's toilet is backed up. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have zero patience for that kind of stuff. So that was not a good investment for us. And we finally, oh, four or five years ago, sold off on those properties. And I just wanted to celebrate. I think there was champagne involved Mm -hmm. when we sold the last one. And it wasn't because we made a bunch of money cuz we didn't but we were so relieved not to have that hanging over our heads anymore and so you just have to you have to try some things and find out what suits your soul our friends jim and lisa over across the river they're really good that that rental property thing. Mm -hmm. They understand the math. They got the numbers down. Lisa understands the financing. And Jim is super good with the people. Mm -hmm. And he just has a knack for that stuff. So it's the perfect thing for them to do. And that work has morphed into something really big with Rockwater and the marina. So, So they've taken a core competency and built it out. So you just have to find what you're... But your heart is really in. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, no matter what it is, you know, Heather was talking earlier upstairs about uh, watching Secretariat and learning how to stay in your own lane mm-hmm. and, and to continue running no matter what. And that really, um, it spoke to my soul. It's like, no matter how many people tell me I'm wrong or how much we don't know for sure how we're going to take this to the market, if I just keep paying my mortgage and stay in my lane mm-hmm. with this idea, we'll eventually figure it out. Right. And as long as I have passion for it and wake up every morning going, okay, what can we do to move this baby forward? Then that's a good thing. Yeah.
0: And something you said just a minute ago is 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 something I've heard but I am not good at implementing and that is, is what I'm about to do furthering the goal? And if it's not, don't do it. Oh, yeah. Right? And so I think that's a really hard thing for people like us to do because I love doing all of this stuff. Yeah. I love all the ideas, you know. And so it's really hard for me to just sort of buckle down and just set aside time to do things because I let myself be distracted by all the other millions of things that I love. Uh -uh. So it's really challenging, but I'll never get to where I want to be if I don't. Learn
1: some discipline, you know,
0: and that's That's hard. hard. Yeah.
1: So I passionately love to talk to people. So you know, I always have a lunch date, a coffee date, happy hour date, you know, because I want to hear other people's stories. Uh, and there's, you know, there's either some way they can help me or some way I can help them, or somehow that human interaction is just amazing. And it's not always on target to what I'm trying to get done. You and I are sitting here and having this conversation, and you are not in the M and A space. You're, you don't do data stuff. It's not an obvious connection, right? But I have found so many times that even though it might have felt like a dawdle. And it was only feeding my soul and not my business. That six months, a year, it would bear fruit in some way that was relevant. Mm-hmm. So it's the long play. Right. And that doesn't help you at all to focus. I'm sorry. Well, it's my justification for being unfocused.
0: Yes, <laughs> ah. but also, I mean, we have to connect with other people, right? Yeah. And so, and I was just having lunch with a couple of women across the street, and Mandy asked me about the podcast. And I was like, I don't have time to do it, but I love it because it's I get to talk to other people, I get to listen to them. It really gives me energy, mm-hmm. especially because I can really tend to focus on the negative and like read too much about politics and just really get bogged down about all. the Problems that aren't getting solved. Yeah. But then when I get to visit with someone like you, it just like it just like it 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 brightens my week. Do you know what I mean? Awesome. It really gives me good energy, and it also encourages me. And I like to hear not that I like to hear that you're struggling, but it's helpful to me to hear other women I admire who who have challenges that are similar in a way to mine. Um, I get that. And know that it's not just me. It's
1: not just you.
0: And and that it's going to be okay.
1: It is going to be okay.
0: So that helps me a lot.
1: You know, I, there's no blood on the floor here. Right. There's just frustration. Yeah. And we're we're all going to live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we don't have to continue doing what we're doing at the point that it gets too painful. you you know, I, nobody loses respect for you if you say we're done here. Right. We're going to do this other thing. Right. It's okay. And that's been hard for me because I sometimes am afraid that if I'm not an absolute rock star, whatever I do, that people won't still love me anymore. Yeah. You know, it's that damage from being a little girl always trying to make my daddy proud of me. And, yeah. you know, he's dead. I don't have to do that anymore. Right. But you, you never lose that. Right. In your head.
0: It's so funny that you just said that because I've been struggling a lot with Women Lead Arkansas, and mm-hmm. it's not really active right now. And I feel like there are a lot of other groups and people who are filling voids that once existed but don't anymore, Okay, whether it's training women to run for office or working on equal pay, things like that. And so I'm struggling with whether to just dissolve it or pass it off to someone else. And every time I think about dissolving it, I think about the people who have been positively impacted impacted by it, you know, and it's, it's hard for me to give that up because I feel like I'll be letting people down. And yeah, so it's, it's just a struggle and it's, and again, I would rather just provide my resources to groups that are already empowering women or who are working to empower women. So, um, I don't have to do it. I don't have to be the one, you know, and frankly, again, I'm not really doing much anyway right now, but I don't know.
1: I don't know. So, I, I hear what you're saying, and it is hard to let go. I had a conversation with another friend recently who was having a business challenge that was going to impact some customers, and he was so worried about them. And so we talked about, one, that it was okay, we're all going to live, and two, how do you put yourself in that customer's space? Think about their impact and communicating to them in a way that's super caring and acknowledges whatever, however it is that they're damaged by your inability to do what. Um, and so we have this whole communications plan. Now he didn't have to put it in place, which was a miracle, but. But the point is, it's okay to say, I can't do this, or I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can't. And so how does that affect those people that were still in, engaging with this? And, you know, is it as easy as just writing them a note and saying, I really love that you were involved in this, and I, I think it would be wonderful if you reengaged with XYZ Group. And... Give them a warm pat and hand them off. Right. And then you've you've done something good for them. You've not dropped them. Right. You just loved them into another channel. Yeah, you're right. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um,
0: But, I mean, I want you to ask us or tell us um, your advice, but I'm not sure... On what? I guess when I when I think of you, I think of this really strong, smart, powerful, driven person. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) you're welcome. That's (laughs) exactly how I think of you. And I, I guess I don't know why you don't have everything you need. You know, and I
1: ask myself that question. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So maybe my question should be, what would you tell women who might invest in a in a company?
1: Tell us why it's important for us to take chances on each other. Oh gosh, that that needs four or five exclamation points at the end of it. It is important for us to take chances on each other. The way we move women forward in entrepreneurship, in wealth development, is by us supporting each other and taking chances. Nothing comes with a guarantee. Uh, There's going to be some roadkill along the way, and and that's unfortunate. But if we work together and nurture each other, we can get some amazing results. I mean, we have some of the most driven, interesting, bright women you could ever hope to meet here in Little Rock. Mm -hmm. And certainly, if you expand out to Arkansas, oh, my goodness. Definitely. Amazing, amazing women. And yet, I feel like our lights are collectively under a basket. And we need to find a way to stand together and kick the basket off. And there's no more important work we can do. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's our legacy we have to give to our daughters and our granddaughters, it's for us to go be successful and make some money. And to do it together, not by hurting each other, but by holding each other's hand. That's right. I, I, that's my soapbox. for. And thank the, you. And
0: then when we are successful, we can invest in other women. Absolutely, and, yes. And make them successful, too, or help them become successful. So that leads me to another question I wanted to ask. I'm glad you said that because it reminded me, is it helpful to have women only venture centers or um, workspaces or whatever. So so I'm thinking of let's say there's um there was a women's power luncheon, you know, so all these women come and rah 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 women. But it's the men mostly who are excluding us, right? So I say that and what I mean is how do we either integrate or do we need to provide our own separate space?
1: I'm kind of torn so on that. that topic comes up a lot um, I have a great deal of respect for everyone who's trying to do a women only activity and and I I understand that that appeals to a number of women who feel like they need a safer space mm-hmm. uh, to grow in there's a place for that um, but my professional world has never been women only. Right. I'm almost always the only estrogen in the room, if not part of a very small percentage. Um, I, I get excited when I show up for a business meeting and there's another woman in the room. Mm-hmm. Although I won't go sit by her. Yes. Or at least usually not unless she's a close personal friend. The point is, is we have to do business in a world that is not just women, especially if you're dealing with something like I do. Mergers and Acquisitions is not a ladies only game. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would think it's primarily men. Yes, and, and those strongly. C, C-suite. strongly, strongly. Now, do I wish it was different? Oh, yes. Do I think women get where I'm going with what I'm trying to accomplish quicker? Yes, because they're about using the appropriate tools to sharpen their swords. They're not quite so ego-driven. But that's perhaps unfair. Most of my best friends are guys. Most of my best mentors are guys. I'm not threatened by them. They're not threatened by me. Sometimes I don't understand where all this comes from. Until I sit down in a meeting and somebody tells me a blonde joke and then I go, oh yeah, that's what everybody's talking about. Right, right. Uh, Because in my professional world, I command enough respect, nobody talks to me like that. Mm -hmm. But stepping into this entrepreneurship space, I don't carry that with me, so it's kind of Kind of different. I am like you in that way.
0: And it is rare that I will let anyone kind of push me around professionally uh, for good or for bad. But I think that in the context of this conversation, especially in the South, women are trained to be polite. Uh-huh. Um, and when you get in a room where you're the minority and the men are dominating the conversation, they are the loudest ones in the room, which is what typically happens. Mm-hmm. And if you interrupt or speak over them, then you're rude, you're a bitch, you're whatever. And so that's, I think, where I'm a little bit torn is that on one hand, I would like a, a, quote, safe space for women to be able to express themselves and not be drowned out by the alphas in the room. I am an alpha, so. <laughs> yeah, you know I am I'm too, saying? so I but I have, have a hard time. Point. Yeah where that that isn't what the real world looks like. Mm -mm. So then how do, is it that we just have to work on these men and say, shut your fucking mouth and let her say, talk? Yes. Don't condescend to her. Yes. That's what I say
1: that, but how do we do that at scale? I mean, it's clearly not changing that quickly. No, it's not changing quickly enough for me, and I have no patience for that sort of thing. And I think think we're going to have to enlist our brothers in helping this change. They need to call each other out. The ones who recognize that it's a problem need to say something. Um, Like, I really would have appreciated, you know, that investor pitch the other day if the friend who set it up had said something to the gentleman who made the inappropriate joke, but he didn't. He thought it was hilarious, and uh, as long as that continues, they won't change their behavior. Did you talk to him about it afterward? No, I've yet to do that. Yeah. You plan to? Yes.
0: Yeah. I think he'll be surprised, and I think he'll think about it next time. That's my prediction, anyway. I hope
1: so. Yeah. But, you know, we have to be willing to have those hard conversations privately. It's like, I don't want to bust anybody's chops. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. I just want to make them aware that we deserve a level of playing field. Right, right. You know, I will, um, this is an old story, but uh, once upon a time when I worked at Systematics, there I worked with this whole team of guys and they were uh, going out to do some work at a client site. And uh, I wanted to go. I had expertise just like they did. It was developmental for my career, for me to go work on this client project. I was allowed to sit home while the guys went on this trip and I really had my feelings hurt, both personally and professionally, and I felt I could set my career back. Years later, I found out that the reason I was not allowed to go on that trip was the manager's wife specifically told him I could not go wow and so it's things like that that hold us back where we're not given opportunities we're not given the one-on-one mentorship we're not given the training to develop and grow professionally because of our gender right and I think that's wrong yes yes And I don't know how to fix it, especially in light of all the Me Too stuff that's going on. That makes it much more difficult.
0: That is the most frustrating thing, because all you have to do is act like
1: a professional. (laughs) Right? Oh, on both parts. Yes. This is not hard. Yes. Uh, you know. You know I, like, there's this, there's
0: this myth out there that women run around falsely accusing
1: men of sexually harassing them. I'm not seeing that. I've not ever observed it. Now, some of my guy friends tell me horrible situations, but I think it's become an urban myth. Mm-hmm. I think they're just afraid, but so many men I know in management positions are so afraid of being falsely accused that they won't, you know, go to lunch with any of their female people, you know, or or they'll always take another guy. So, again, no one-on-one stuff. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have been around many men all by myself
0: in professional situations. Yeah. Nothing has gone wrong. Right? On my part or his? Right. Because we're both fucking professionals. Right? Yeah, amen, is, sister. It is so frustrating, is true? but this idea that women can't be involved because because they're afraid that we're going to say something or that or their wives are afraid that they'll like us or, or whatever. I mean, it's
1: just it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, anyway, and if yeah, you, that's a thing here in the south. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Okay, I've got to wrap this up. I appreciate you talking with me. You're I welcome. think it's really exciting and cool this what you're fun. doing. This was
1: fun. Yeah. I'm glad. This I, was kind of real.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I I I think I understood before what what you are doing but it really helped for me to just sit down and listen to you and kind of hear you kind of talk through what you're trying to create. I think it's super exciting. Thank you. And and I don't even I am not in that world. Um I never will be unless I'm selling my own company for a billion dollars which hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, me, let me create it first but right so I
1: don't know. I'm well, really excited I think your that, project
0: could easily be I think so, too, which is why I need to focus. Yes. You know, and I need to get my shit together because... you need a project manager? I need a project manager, yes. I'm supposed to be that person right now, but... Um, so, yeah, uh, hopefully, maybe someone will hear this, and and they'll come knocking at your door, but...
1: Or yours.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm um, God, I would love to see a female ecosystem investment. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, it would be incredible. Well, you need to you need to get with Meredith Lowry. Seriously, seriously, because she's this is kind of her world. And she was
1: in cool. my leadership class two years ago. Oh,
0: okay, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, she, I mean, she's she, amazing. She saw this dearth of
0: support for women either mm-hmm. on the investor or entrepreneur side. And so that's why she started the Woman Run.
1: Yeah. So you need to- I need to start attending that.
0: Yeah. And it's not just for people like you and me. I mean, it could be anyone who wants to start a bakery or, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, I think of us as more technology focused.
1: Um, yeah, but we need more bakeries. Oh, no, no, no. We, I love donuts. Trust me. <laughs> trust me. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, well, uh, and good
0: luck. And I, I look forward to promoting this and seeing where you go. Awesome. So, It'll
1: thanks. be fun. Thanks. Thank you.